Hey, welcome back to the Brazos Point living room. We are back together again, the three amigos. We've got myself, Joseph Castillo. We've got Randy Dane. And we have Michelle Masterson. Feliz Navidad. Yep. Merry Christmas. It is officially Christmas season. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, so we are right in the midst of Christmas season and Advent and all the things associated. So my first question to you guys is we think about anticipating Christmas and the countdown has begun. What is something in your life you anticipated or waited on for a long time that finally happened? I want to share mine first (laughs) before Michelle (laughs) blows it out of the water. So uh, Ashley and I dated from uh, 18, 17, 18 years old until after college and uh, intentionally did not get married until after we graduated from college. So there was like four and a half years of dating engagement, the whole shebang. And so when when the wedding finally came, man, it was it was at last. In fact, that was the song we danced to, Ada James. At last, it was a lot of a lot of years, a lot of waiting. Twenty one year olds dancing to at last. A lot of a lot of anticipation. Hey, four and a half years when you're seventeen. That's that's an eternity. It is. So Michelle, what's your answer? <laughs> Well, mine is actually about getting married, too. But, I mean, I've talked about that before. I was a good bit older um, before I met Jeff. Like almost double. (laughs) 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 I'm 41 now. (laughs) We've been married for a few years. Um, But, honestly, I'm going to be completely honest here. I actually don't like to talk about that being something I was waiting for because that was kind of a... A struggle initially like like I was waiting for it almost as if like this is what needs to happen for my life to start and like I really had to get to the point that it was like no God is sufficient like this is my life like what I'm doing right now taking next steps with God is my life so I anticipated it and I I did have a desire for it and you know obviously waiting was involved but it was a little bit. It was a little bit different. Like I was excited when it came, but mm. I actually try not to use the word waiting. Ah, uh, well, living. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't wait very long. Uh, we were married like a year later, <laughs> <laughs> and you were young. At and what we age? were young. Huh? Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say we were young. How uh, young? Huh? I was twenty-four. Oh. So I was not. We were younger than that. Yeah, you were younger than yeah, that. That's I was just true. trying to figure out why you didn't want to say. Like, I was thinking like sixteen. Oh no. <laughs> uh, our parents decided for us, Randy. <laughs> Actually, that uh, I can get behind that. <laughs> uh, well, I think. Uh, something I mean, for me, maybe I anticipated that actually was great. Was actually Disney World with my kids. <clears throat> you know, that's something I looked forward to, and it was awesome it's not the happiest place on earth though it was for me that one time i dreaded it honestly yeah i'm like this is gonna be a hard week and god honestly just somehow gave my kids the right attitudes it's great (laughs) it's just not the happiest place on earth Mm. well i we talk about what we waited for that uh, was worth it in the long run i want to know what was something maybe you anticipated and when it came wasn't what you were hoping for or expecting or didn't ever come, right? Yeah, or didn't come. Six-pack abs. <laughs> <laughs> you were anticipating that? Yeah, when? <laughs> yeah. Uh, still am. 
you know? <laughs> it's like, Randy, was, God is sufficient. <laughs> was looking for a six pack and got a keg. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really never expected it. <laughs> uh, I remember as a kid uh, traveling with my parents and we went to Mount Rushmore. Mm. And as a kid, I loved presidents. I was like super excited. I knew what it was. Uh, but man, when it was over, I was like, so where are we? We drove this far. South Dakota, huh? Yeah. Um, to look at these these rocks. What's next? Cool. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> uh, so maybe it was a little bit disappointing, but I remember really being excited about that trip. And then was like, so what else are we doing? <laughs> so if I'm we drove the, here. <laughs> if I'm within, I don't know, say three to 500 miles 300 miles of Mount Rushmore. Do you go? Do you, do you... Would I go again? Yeah. Oh, I would. If I'm, well, three to 500 miles. <laughs> 300. <laughs> 250. Uh, maybe. I mean, if, if, might as well. If I'm that far on that part of the country, I mean, there's not I've never much been, more. So I definitely would. I'm interested. Yeah. I think maybe as a kid, there was a movie called Richie Rich that yeah. talked about Mount Rushmore having like a secret vault behind it. <laughs> and when I learned out that wasn't quite the case, that there wasn't full of toys and money, uh, I was probably led to my disappointment. Mm. I'll tell you right now, if you're within 200 miles of Hoover Dam, go. Mm. I will. It's awesome. Again, out in the desert. Yeah, fantastic dam. <laughs> well, we are officially in our Christmas series this year called Christmas Never Gets Old. And uh, we've been pretty excited about it as we talk about more than Christmas, the things leading to it and the things that we look forward to after um, are, is pretty exciting. Last week, we all kind of gave our hot takes on things that we said maybe do get old in regards to Christmas. And uh, I think I had the the most pushback. Hottest take. I definitely had the hottest take. People, Yours was out there, stockings yeah. being old. Uh, but then when I said a Christmas story, I mean, people audibly gasped and came up to me afterwards and said, how dare you? Hopefully the people that share your hot take were just as supportive. Yeah. Cause they I'm were. with you. They weren't audible. So many people said, exactly. I find the movie exactly. to be annoying <clears throat> and just strange. Yeah. I don't love it and I, I don't watch it anymore, but I do remember the first time I saw it as a kid thinking that that tongue stuck to the frozen pole thing was like high comedy. But <laughs> like that was hilarious. But you can me. get that in Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Then Dumb and Dumber came out and I was like, oh, this is better. This is better. <laughs> this actually has a plot line. What else do you have to offer, Jim Carrey? <laughs> so we are sorry if we are offending you once again, but uh, we love the idea. Christmas never gets old. And really, it's the story and the truth truth that comes with Christmas that doesn't get old. So as we think about the Christmas story, man, I want to know what is your favorite unexpected <laughs> detail in the Christmas story? It's full of unexpected pieces and turns, but what's your favorite unexpected detail? I don't know that it's my favorite, but the first one that my mind goes to is <clears throat> Joseph's role in the mm. whole story. Like I think Joseph's such a under uh, appreciated character in the Christmas yeah. story, you know, because I mean, obviously Mary's a big deal. Um, but man, think about that and think about Joseph's experience and think about Joseph's visit from the angel and I mean, all of that. I just, I, I love that piece of thinking through it, through the lens of Joseph's, Joseph's experience. Hmm. I think for me, it's something that I didn't realize was as, I guess, unexpected as it is until more recently. But I think it's that the shepherds were the first to know, like, you know, they're, they've got a humble 
career Mm -hmm. and um, they're not the top echelons of that society. And, you know, Jesus, the Messiah is here. Like this whole entire people group has been anticipating, waiting for his arrival. And the first people to know aren't, it's not royalty of the land. It's not even um, the religious leaders. It's not even the Jewish leaders. It's the shepherds. And yeah. I think that's unexpected and really cool. And I think it says I think it says a lot. Well, it says a ton about the kingdom, right? I mean, yeah. it's the foundation of the kingdom that's for the low and lowly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that doesn't change. And turn mm. things upside down a little bit. Yeah. Mm. I think what I love about it is there are so many things coming to a point. In the Christmas story, like not only are people awaiting the arrival of a coming Messiah, but there are so many things that ultimately all come together with, uh, you know, Mary and Joseph having to travel for the census and to be in the right place uh, for Jesus to be born to fulfill prophecy. And even for the story of John the Baptist, you know, and his birth story and all the details that go into that that lead up to there's just so much that, um, I think are, are just so unexpected. All these things suddenly fall into place that lead to Jesus's arrival, which I think are so, so cool. Well, and I think going where we're headed with this, so this weekend we're looking directly at the nativity story. The weekend after that, we're going to Galatians 4. And in Galatians 4, what it talks about, and I don't want to you know, steal too much thunder from next, next week, but it talks about in the fullness of time, mm-hmm. like at mm. the right amount of time. So when you're talking about all that that came together, like thinking about the fact that this event is what Hendry, what Hendry, what history hinges on, mm-hmm. and, and, and God brought all of this together in this moment. It's, that's remarkable in yeah. all of human history. Like yes. this is the moment that is the hinge. That's crazy. Yeah, I've been working through my Advent study this week, and you know, every every day is a different piece of it. But every day, you get a chocolate every my, day. <laughs> no, I open know. a little door and have a little chocolate. I make myself a little chocolate thing. Anyway, um, every single day, I've noticed not on purpose the beginning of my prayer because I journal out a prayer um, after reading it starts with man, I just love your story. I love this story. Like, mm. I love the story. Just never from, gets old. From the beginning of time, it never, <laughs> never gets, gets old. old. It never gets old, the yeah. tapestry of redemption. I'd like to will. find a, a, an Advent <laughs> chicken wing calendar. <laughs> like, every day there's a chicken wing behind the door. Pop it in the oven. <laughs> Maybe it's a little air fryer. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> uh, well, I think, like you said, in the fullness of time, everything came together um, leading to this moment. And, and last week, Grady, you talked about the prophecy uh, that is being fulfilled, that is pointing to Jesus coming, that uh, was what the people were waiting on. It was the truth that they clung to in, in, in the midst of them needing a Savior. And uh, I wanted to go back to the very first prophecy that speaks yeah. to um, Jesus's arrival that I think many people miss, um, yeah. that we, we don't see in the midst of it. But um, in, in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, um, within three chapters, creation is broken. People have rebelled against God, and, and creation is falling apart. And in the midst of it, um, God s- steps into the story, and he says, okay, because this has happened, here are the consequences. Here what has happened. And then he also speaks to the serpent who uh, deceived the people. And here's what he says to the serpent. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, 
between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So Genesis 3.15 is also known as the Proto-Evangelion, right? Did I get yeah, that right? You were pretty close. Uh, close enough. Uh, but it is God promising to the serpent and the enemy that I will put enmity or conflict. How would you describe en- enmity? Well, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's conflict. It's the epic ultimate battle of uh, not just good, but holiness versus mm-hmm. evil. Mm-hmm. And it's this uh, reality that, yeah, darkness is coming and there is a brokenness, uh, but there is a, a the greatest good that is coming mm-hmm. and is going to be the enemy of this darkness, the enemy of this brokenness, the enemy of the enemy. And it's it's the king. Yeah. You know? And so I think like, yeah, man, uh, Isaiah 9 that we covered last week, that's on Christmas cards. Isaiah 7, that's on Christmas cards. The virgin will give birth to a son. You know, we would call him Emmanuel, Isaiah 9. He's wonderful counselor, mighty peace, you know, prince of peace, everlasting father, blah, blah, blah. Like, let's put Genesis 3.15 on some Christmas cards. Yeah. You know, the serpent crusher's coming. <laughs> yeah. And I think what is so powerful about this is a promise immediately. Hey, someone is coming and... You will strike his heel, yeah. but he will crush your head. And just to promise, hey, Jesus will die, but ultimately he will be victorious. Well, and what you see in that is the, the promise is a promise of both Christmas and Easter, mm-hmm. right? So he's coming at Christmas, and, and, and Easter is the ultimate striking of his heel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also the resurrection is the ultimate crushing of the enemy's head. Yeah. Like at the resurrection, that's when the enemy's head is absolutely... Mm-hmm burst open and we're living in that in between now right <clears throat> so the enemy's defeated uh and there's a time coming in the second coming which is ultimately what this series is building into mm-hmm. uh that it'll it'll be over mm. i like something that was said earlier just as part of that conversation is that it's not good versus evil it's holy versus evil or holy versus sin you know is another mm-hmm. way to look at it because i think that sometimes we do you know, as a people get caught up with it being good versus evil. And like, there can be like, that's not what it is. I think it's so important to realize why Jesus actually needed to come, why he needed to be God with us, why the cross needed to happen, why the resurrection needed to happen. It wasn't just about behaving better. Yeah. He's the only one that has the the good enough, right? To accomplish what he accomplished Yep. because Mm. of his holiness and perfection. One of my favorite resources to give people and recommend is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Mm -hmm. It's just such a succinct way to walk through the full story of the Bible. And really the premise of it is the whole Bible is about Jesus and every story points to him in some way. And so I love here at the very beginning, I mean, Jesus is, is part of the creation story, but immediately you see there is a promise that he is coming and it is about Jesus. So I just think that's so, so cool. We have another kid's Bible at our house that we've used with our girls too. And it's, he's the snake crusher. Oh yeah. It starts in the garden. Yeah. Uh, It runs all the way to the resurrection and beyond. So good. Well, as we talk about Jesus's arrival and how he arrived, uh, my question is, it's kind of a messy story, right? When you think about the king who has been promised from the very beginning of the Bible finally showing up. It is this much anticipated moment. And yet his arrival is in a very unexpected way and kind of messy with the details and, and the circumstances. So why did God allow for such a messy story to usher in the birth of Jesus? I mean, you already tapped on this. The, it's not even that God allowed it. It's that God ordained it. Mm. God organized it to be this way. 
And we already touched on this too. It's because it's an indicator of of the kind of kingdom that Christ will be king over, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and it's a sending a message to the world for then and for forever uh, that Jesus's kingdom is the upside down kingdom, and that it is not only unexpected now, but it will be unexpected forever. It will always be for the low and lowly. It will always be for the ones that humble themselves to the point of recognizing their need for a savior. It will always be for the down and out and for the vulnerable, you know, and uh, and and that that never changes. And so uh, as we carry that message and that mission as the church into today, I mean, we got to remember the kind of king that we serve and, and what our service should look like. Mm. In a way, I also think the messiness of the story does more to show how God ordained it was. Like, it wasn't just this clean, well, yeah, logically, this is what happened. Well, of course, logically, this is how the story unfolded. No, like, there had to be a whole census taking place to get Mary and Joseph to be even in the right town for Jesus to be born to fulfill that prophecy. Like, all these different puzzle pieces had to come together, and there's no way that happens unless it was planned and ordained. Mm -hmm. And the fact that nothing about his life, birth, life, death, burial, nothing about it looked like royalty, you know, Mm -hmm. like nothing. I I mean, the best we've got is looking at the modern day, you know, situation in in the UK and nothing against the Queen of England, but we just saw all the pomp and circumstance that came with her death, Mm -hmm. you know, and then all the pomp and circumstance that comes with the coronation of Charles and all that. It's like, if that's your picture of royalty, Jesus could not be more opposite, yeah, that's a that's a good thing to think about being so recent too. Like his arrival um, was nothing like that. Uh, so you know, you talked about um, man, Jesus. Uh, the story is all about him, and we ought to put some other things on some Christmas cards, <laughs> like Genesis three fifteen. Uh, but I'm also curious too about this truth because that's part of it, right? Jesus shows up and there's a purpose that is ultimately leading to Good Friday and then to Easter. So how does the Christmas story read differently in light of Easter? I think it, I think it reads uh, wildly differently, you know, like in the same way that Noah's Ark reads differently when you realize what it's about. You know, there's the one angle of it that's like, oh, this charming story for children where this bearded guy takes two of every kind of animal on a boat. Oh, yeah, that's a great children's story. But the story of the ark is a story of judgment and rescue. And when you think about the destruction that the ark is the exception for, you know, like God is judging the whole earth because of its sin and sinfulness. He's preserving this remnant through Noah and his family and through all the animals, right? Like this is radical rescue, but it's also extreme judgment. Mm-hmm. And so it's so easy to to take the nativity story and see this sweet little baby in this, you know, in this humble hay field and with these, you know, shepherds and all that. And it's like, if you only look at it from that angle, you're missing the reality that there is a wrath and judgment that is going to be poured on this sweet little baby. When he goes to the cross, this same person, the same perfect person that we see in the manger is ultimately going to the cross and he is going to endure all the wrath of God like creation did in the Mm -hmm. ark story, but he's also the ark. He's also the rescue. He's also the plan for redemption, and it's forever. It's like, man, you can't read Christmas without reading it in light of Easter. And the reality is that the flip side is true, too. You, you shouldn't read Easter without mm-hmm. holding it in, in, in you know, double-handed kind of fisted deal with Christmas, because the reality is without Easter, Christmas doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Same true for Easter. Without, without Easter, 
you know, I said that wrong without, you know what I mean? You got, you got to have both, right? You got to have both. And, uh, and so, yeah, we should always look at both of them in light of the other. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing it makes me think of is um, we are, as the people between two Advents, we do know both stories. We do know Christmas and we do know Easter. And it makes me think of our walk through John and how we've been talking about looking at Jesus's interactions with people and unpacking who he is like one piece at a time and what he came to do and people having a really hard time with that and a really hard time believing that and especially the religious leaders. And it makes me think about how I'm so thankful that we can read the Christmas story in light of Easter. Uh You know, I, I always try to put myself in those shoes of like, what did the Christmas story seem like before they knew Easter? Yeah, right. Well, and it's so easy for us as people that have the whole revelation yep. to be critical of those who didn't, right. you know? And so I love the, I love that you're talking about that because it's so important for us, even, you know, not just the Pharisees, but even the disciples oh, yeah. to put ourselves in their shoes and recognizing what it would be like to not have all the understanding that we presently have. Mm-hmm. I think that's, uh, like you said, you, we, we can't have, we have to read and look to Christmas with Easter in mind and vice versa. Uh, and so I'm just curious, you know, the Jesus's arrival was not just a humbling of him coming or him being born in a manger and in humble beginnings, but also there was a humbling of himself as in he was fully human um, and, and walked amongst us and like us. Um, so I'm curious as we look to, <clears throat> to Christmas, how does the fact that Jesus was fully human and, and one of us affect our relationship with him? And what does that make you think about and change, you know, what you think about Christmas? I think it means everything and, and it gives us so much perspective while at the same time exposing how little we really can understand what that's like for God to become human. Mm-hmm. for the creator to step into creation, for the one that's outside of time and space to step into time and space. Like all of those pieces uh, ought to be mind-boggling for us. And while they leave us with a sense of mystery and wonder, they also give us this awesome sense of, of comfort and, and, and peace because we know that he can identify with us. How else could the God of creation with infinite power and knowledge identify with finite and limited and fallen people? Well, when he lived among them in their own uh, skin, that's that's a pretty serious identification that he can understand us in ways uh, that are absolutely wild and mind-blowing. Yeah, it's a big part of what makes the good news of the gospel the good news. You know, this is, this is one of the only, well, the only faith that involves him coming to us. Like, it's not do these things, you know, like we said earlier, be a good person, do these behaviors, and then you can earn salvation. This is he came to us, literally, like Uh Emmanuel means God with us. So he not only came to be with us, but he also was one of us. And if that doesn't display, you know, what he means when, when he talks about, um, like basically he's the answer to the question like mm-hmm. like he is the one that 
fulfills what needs to happen in order for us to have a relationship with him. And so I think all of that is just a huge piece of what makes the gospel the gospel. Well, I think it's huge, too, to recognize that not only does Jesus have to be who he was and is in order to be Savior, right? For what happened on the cross to be effective, Jesus had to be all that he was as the fully God, fully man, unique individual in all of human history. But the, the other part of that is recognizing our relationship with him, that he's not just Savior, but he's also Lord. And as we follow Jesus as Lord, and, and he's the master of our life, he's the boss, and we're trying to figure out what it looks like in light of being radically transformed by this gospel, how do we follow this this king in this upside-down kingdom? It's like, he's, he's so much more followable mm-hmm. because of his humanity. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. Like, because he lived, because he walked, because he was... Uh, a person in this world uh, that gives us so much of a clearer model of how we follow him uh, in our own imperfect ways. Mm. Well, kind of my last thought, uh, Michelle, you talked about we're kind of people between two advents. Um, we we are on the other side of Christmas, but we are also on the front side of Jesus coming back again. And uh, I'm just kind of curious to think about like how uh, in our season at Advent and you with your chocolate calendar, and Randy and his uh, chicken, wing calendar. chicken wing calendar. I feel like in 2023, we're going to have snake-themed Christmas cards available for uh-huh. people to pick up and a uh, chicken wing calendar. Well, let's be honest. I will have eaten all the chicken wings by like December 3rd. <laughs> <laughs> well, you kind of just too. bones. Christmas can't wait. <laughs> Empty bones. Uh, but I think the, the, the heart behind Advent is for us to really remind ourselves and get in the mindset of the people who are waiting on Jesus to arrive. And and I think one of the ways, the things that was helpful for me recently was this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who's just was a German pastor and theologian. And here's what he said, a prison cell in which one waits and hopes and is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be open from the outside is not a bad picture of Advent. And it was just reminded me of what it was like for people um, to await on Jesus's arrival. Mm-hmm. And then I'm thinking as I look ahead to his second coming, um, do I have that same mindset? How often am I thinking in my life is about that? So I'm just kind of curious, what comes to mind for you guys? I think you're, I think you're spot on. I think it exposes so clearly how we don't mm-hmm. anticipate a second coming. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm so excited. I'm in the last few weeks of the Bible recap and the Bible in a year. And so I'm, I'm in the epistles right now and reading these letters. And in the letters, there's so many occurrences of, of an anticipation of the second coming. And I think through that and think, man, these people were just with Jesus. Mm. And we're talking, you know, years difference. And they're living, they're talking as if the second coming is about to come, you know, next week. And they're living in light of that. And I think we live in a space 2,000 years later uh, where it's it's been delayed so long, right? Not that it's God's late. It's just his plan is what it is. Uh, that I don't know that we have that same kind of urgency and anticipation that they did, which is it was probably also true for Israel in, in terms of the first coming, right? They had waited so long. Um, but, man, we've got all the advantages of we know. Uh, I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but I, I have enough to know that the second coming is going to be really, really clear. Mm-hmm. It's pretty convicti- convicting because I think to myself, yeah, um, I the first thing I thought was it would make me live with more of a sense of urgency than I do. Mm-hmm. And I don't necessarily consistently think about Jesus coming back 
and that giving me a sense of urgency. But the thing that we do all somewhat anticipate is our own deaths or the deaths Mm -hmm. of the people that we know and love who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. So that should still make us live with a sense of urgency, Mm -hmm. even if it's just about our own lifetime. So that's actually really convicting to me, especially when I think about what a sense of urgency I live with about other things. You know, like, I think everybody to some degree can identify with living with a sense of urgency because we can all be, you know, at the mercy of our calendars. We can all be at the mercy of work, of school, of, you know, social things, of family, whatever it is. Like we're familiar with what it means to have a sense of urgency. I just don't apply it to Mm -hmm. this. But I think kind of bring the whole conversation full circle. I remember being 20 and waiting and anticipating marriage and all that that would be and saying, man, I want Jesus to come back, but I just want him to wait until, you know, <laughs> Ashley and I've had a chance to get married. Uh, and now, you know, 20 years later, it's like, yeah, come on, Bubba, let's do this. You know, I'm ready to roll. In fact, during the last couple of years, I remember saying that to, to Teresa Williams, one of a good friend in our church. I was like, Teresa, I'm ready. Like, come back, Jesus. And she looked at me and she was like, man, uh, there's just too many people that still don't know him. I was like, ah, you trumped me, you know, like, I'm, I'm ready for him to come. And she's reminded me that there's too many people that would, would not yeah. be rescued. It's a good perspective to have. Uh, I was reminded recently, too, of a story that I just don't ever think about. Uh, when Jesus is presented in the temple, uh, there's a woman there, Anna, who's a prophetess. And it says that she uh, was married for seven years with her husband, and then she's been a widow for probably 60 or 70 so years. But it says that she's always in the temple. She doesn't depart from the temple. She worships and fasts and prays day and night, and she's looking ahead to the promised coming Messiah. And she happens to be there when he arrives and in the same temple. And and I was just thinking, um, man, how many people think that she is crazy? Mm-hmm. You know, that, like, what are you doing? And, and, and But she's taking serious the promise of a coming Messiah. And she spends all her time focused and praying for and waiting on, and she gets to be there when he is arrives. And I'm just thinking like, man, what does that look like in our current context? And man, I want to be somebody who thinks more frequently Mm. and prays towards Jesus coming back. Wasn't it Simeon that did the same? Like he had the same experience. Like, yeah, let's be an honor. Let's be a Simeon. Mm -hmm. He lost me at prophetess. I hadn't heard that word in a long time. It's like, I was like, yeah, that's a, that's a word. Yeah. (laughs) Prophet and prophetess. (laughs) Cool. Well, any last thoughts about Christmas, Christmas series, what you're looking forward to this year? Uh, I just, the, the title of this series, Christmas never gets old. Um, I think it's, I think it's such a good challenge to, to really think through and personalize and go, man, uh, are you in a space? Am I in a space where I have taken it for granted, where it has gotten familiar to the point of getting oldish, you know, and just really having our hearts stirred for all that Jesus is and our affections grow and leaning into this season and just loving him for all that he is. Yeah. Hmm. Cool. I'm looking forward to Christmas Eve Eve. Always. (laughs) It's always a good time. Well, thanks for listening, and we love you guys, and we'll catch you next week.